Welcome to the podcast from Plow to Plate with founder and farmer Sam Lucy, who alongside his wife Brooke operate Bluebird Grain Farms in the Methow Valley in north central Washington State, growing, processing, and marketing organic grains. All right, welcome folks to this episode of Plow to Plate, our podcast with Sam Lucy here in the K Root Studio. I got to tell you, Sam, my mind has been going over and over something that you brought out about how growing food sustainably can lead directly, building sustainability into our families and into our communities. The truth and the possibilities of that really began to hit home with me. Like you, I can see more folks searching out quality food, wanting the best flavor. That's kind of my big deal. High nutritional value, wanting to know that it's raised sustainably, etc., that, that's how I am. And I think what I'm learning from these podcasts from you is what does a good farmer deal with? You know, the weather, the health of the soil, that underground biome, the wageless workers that you mentioned. All of this comes into my mind and I start to become aware, to care about it, because this episode is soil. So. <laughs> Anyway, that was a lot to say, but it really has energized my mind. I'm digging it. Well, I appreciate that, Don. I'm glad to uh, enlighten you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you had a lot to get off your chest. I did, yeah, (laughs) I did. There's a lot of players. You mentioned it. There's a lot of players that we don't see Mm -hmm. every second that's uh, working in that underground world that eventually come to the surface in food if you work with the soil uh, and learn from it and listen to it. And it's, it's been a long process of learning for me and most farmers, I think. And I think I've said this before, the, every spring I go out to the fields and I feel like, oh my gosh, I'm a complete beginner. You know, I used to know so much more than I do now. <laughs> well, <laughs> after 30 years or well, so. Well, I mean, does anybody really know what all's going on in the soil? I mean, you know, just recently people started talking about uh, the gut biome, all the little yeah. creatures that basically make up us. It's it's not really us. It's these little guys that live inside us. And I'm assuming that it's the same with the soil. It's It's a bit of a new science people are learning about, isn't it? Um, I don't think it's new. I think it's resurfaced. So the soil is us. So everything in the soil becomes us. Oh, that's deep. So soil, as most people might know, all comes from rock. And so we, we start out with rock and all the minerals in rock. There's tons and tons of mineral in rock. That's why at high elevation you see trees growing out of rock. Right? I know. And, uh, yeah. And it makes you wonder, do, do we need soil? Or do we just need water and minerals to grow? And I think water, minerals, and sunlight is the premise of growing something. And the soil is the palate, so to speak. Uh, A lot of people talk about pH in soil. Mm -hmm. It's important. You need to know if your soil is acidic, alkaline, somewhere in between. And we pay attention to that. Uh, Here in the valley, most of our soils are... In the sixes, I've farmed some just over seven, and I've done things to bring that back down. I'm going to quote my mentor, Bruce Tanio, here again, who said, if you can keep your soil at 6.4 pH, nothing will bother your crops. Wow. So I'm always thinking, okay, 6.4, 6.4. And some of the soils in conventional agriculture 
started at around six and a half, now are below five with the acidity from all the chemicals. That's another crisis brewing. I've had issues with the more clay soils, particularly up valley here, Mm -hmm. but we've been able to make them productive. Even when we're at 6.8, 6.9 pH, what happens at the higher pH soils, clayish soils, there's more tension in the ground because you have a high magnesium, and that is holding tight to some important properties like calcium. Mm -hmm. And so you have to invest in the future by investing in correcting your soils Mm -hmm. or keeping them productive. So you can go at it a couple different ways. Starting with the pH, we do try to get it in the mid-sixes. We've done it with amendments, but you also can do it with crops. Buckwheat, that'll bring up potassium, and that'll sometimes help bring down your alkalinity. Calcium is a big one, and you can have a lot of calcium in your soil, but if it's not available, it's not going to do you any good. We've done it with amendments, such as using gypsum, to help bring the magnesium down and and, uh, the alkalinity down. You can have a lot of nitrogen in your soil, but it's not available. So the availability of these nutrients is what's critical. And to make the plants uh, receptive. One of the things we look at when we do our soils tests is soluble nitrogen, availability of nitrogen, not overall parts per million of nitrogen. How much nitrogen do you have in the soil by the acre? But what's the available nitrogen? And you'll find if your calcium's up and your potassium's up to the right level, you don't require near as much nitrogen, even to grow something like corn. Back to the balance. Everything needs to be balanced. Big ag, you look at the big three, which are NPK, nitrogen, potassium, phosphorus. Those are important, but where's calcium? Mm-hmm. Calcium is a vehicle for this. Calcium gives you the uh, pliancy in the soil. If it's tied up, your soil's tight, it's tense. And we've used calcium to mellow our soils, but getting back to what you first said about gut biology, yeah. it really comes down to biology in the soil. Even with all these minerals, you have to have a working stomach. You have to have a working soil. And that's why, you know, composting is great. We use liquid fish for biology. It has a lot of ocean minerals, a lot of trace minerals, but I predominantly am using it for the biology. And you get the balance going between those micronutrients, and they make your bigger nutrients happy, and then you get more of a complete picture. So i got to ask you now, how much of a scientist are you out there in the field? Are you able to test for all these things? Do you have a readout that you can look at? I'll be the first to claim I'm not a scientist, but I do work with a consultant. We send these soil samples to a lab. We test for everything. We want to know if we're missing a little zinc. Boron's notoriously low in this valley. You don't need much boron to make things work, but you need some. So those little things that could be missing, you can be doing the right things otherwise, but it's like, well, why, why am I not quite getting this crop that I think I should be? So the lot goes into that. We test our water. If we're irrigating, we want to know what's in the water. We want to know the reaction of that rain with what the soil is. And so the lab I work with will run the water through the soil so we know really what is available there. With the ancient grains, as I mentioned in the last episode with the seed, they're better at mining some of these minerals. 
going down after certain minerals that more modern plants aren't. And if things are going well on our farm, we'll bring those minerals up with another cover crop. And an example is right near where you live on the Big Valley, we were, I was getting up into close to 7 on the pH. And so I cultivated out this spring, let the soil rest a bit, and put in a pretty killer buckwheat crop, I got to say. Buckwheat's wonderful. It just puts on such mass. I didn't do it for the organic matter, our organic matter in our soils, because we put all the straw back in. Mm -hmm. I did it because it brought down the pH, it brought up the potassium, and in two months' time, we went from 6.9 to 6.5. Wow. Yeah. This is interesting. This is really cool. And then, and then I'm like, okay, we're there. And we drilled in winter rye and winter wheat. And then I put a, a round of biology on it. Mm-hmm. And we do put in soft rock when we plant with the seed. A soft rock phosphate is fairly local here. It's from over in Tenasket. And its properties are, are it's all mineral, uh, of course. And it has the properties of phosphorus and calcium are the big properties of soft rock. Very available to the plant uh, is why we, we inrow it with the seed. But it also has lots of trace minerals um, like sodium, zinc, copper, iron, uh, those trace minerals that we're after to complete the taste. Because in dense, nutrient-dense foods, which we're trying to grow, mm-hmm. it's the taste and the nutrient density of it largely is mineral content. And so it is back to, I suppose, the ocean mm-hmm. and rock and the slow breakdown. And that's why soil is such a, uh, well, it's sacred, but it's so fragile in a lot of ways. It's taken so long to become soil. Yeah. And treating it with disrespect it doesn't take long for it to become unsoiled. And we've seen it in a short period of time, really, in, in North America, where we've have some beautiful soils in places, and they've really changed through 60, 70 years of modern mm-hmm. agriculture to the point of, I think there's crises in places, mm-hmm. and uh, they can no longer be ignored when your pH gets mm-hmm. that acidic. Mm-hmm. You can't grow things. Yeah. Anhydrous ammonia is what they use for nitrogen now for have for a number of years when they're mm-hmm. planting grain and corn and it's liquid nitrogen and it's the same liquid nitrogen that is used for burning off precancerous off your skin warts things like that it's burns it burns so this liquid which becomes gas when it's released from the planting tanks into the soil it may be giving a boost of nitrogen, but it's in the wrong form that's recognized by the plants, plus it's frying the soil. And what happens if the soil doesn't have enough calcium in it? What happens if it doesn't have enough phosphorus? What happens is that nitrogen goes elsewhere, and we've seen it, right? The biggest aquifer in the Midwest is now contaminated with nitrogen. Nitrate poisoning is what it is. Wow. And so that's what happens when Mother Nature is like, nope, we're going the wrong direction here. We've got to somehow change this. And as I mentioned just a little while ago, changing that can take as long as it... <laughs> as it took to make it, it, it in the first place? To make place. it in the first place. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So it's important we pay attention to the soil. They've bred certain varieties of wheat to withstand snow mold. 
So in other words, if the plants are under the snow for 100 days or 120 days, snow mold can set in and basically take out half your crop come spring. I've talked to older wheat farmers that had mentioned we never had snow mold until we started using anhydrous ammonia. And what anhydrous ammonia does is it burns the soil. I bet. And so you're burning your biology and oh. you're burning your roots, literally. Yeah. It's not what I'm thinking of as regenerative agriculture. Certainly not. Yeah. Uh, there's other forms of nitrogen. We've used uh, feather meal. <laughs> I like that. Uh, because we've been short in nitrogen, available mm. nitrogen, and, and I've needed to grow a crop. And we've had to do more inputs some years than others. That's a little bit of a conundrum that you find yourself in with X amount of farm ground. You have X amount of customers. And I know how things can spiral. And I know when you're tempted to maybe cut corners here or there. I've been there. And what I try to do is to step back and look at the big picture again and say, well, you you might gain short term, but you're not going to gain long term. I just like the idea of feather meal. I know you're an avid duck hunter, but that's probably like too many ducks, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know. It's not a do-it-yourself um, I haven't started composting the duck yet. Uh, the, the amount of time it would take me to harvest that many ducks would mean I wouldn't be getting much farming done. And no, so you we, would We'd kind you know, of be defeating the purpose. Professional hunter at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. My point was that's an available source of nitrogen. Yeah, yeah. And the plant will recognize that. And we've top-dressed our grains with it when they're in like two leaf stage fairly mm -hmm. young by the time that grain goes into head it's starting to use that cool another great source of biology and phosphorus and potassium is chicken manure mm -hmm. there's so much available now that wasn't available when i started organic farming 20 years ago it's hmm. Uh, which is wonderful yeah, I uh, in a say. lot of ways. And we try different things, but uh, I would say the m most consistent thing we use as an amendment is mineral over everything. Okay. And always in the planting stage and sometimes post-planting, depending what the crop needs. We also take tissue samples of the crop. You can find out what your crop is lacking right then. With the pivot irrigation or, or tractor sprayers, you can foliar feed. There's an entire art to foliar feeding your crops, giving it the mineral it needs right then, you know, mainlining it with mm -hmm. this right now, which isn't bad. Uh, I know growers that do a lot of foliar feeding. The end product being you want a nutrient-dense food yeah. that tastes good. I mentioned earlier in maybe the first episode, you have to get out of your truck and walk your fields mm -hmm. to be a regenerative farmer. And after a while, you can feel your soil. You know, you can tell how it's responding to what you've been doing. Uh, so all these trace minerals we've been talking about mm -hmm. are properties in the ancient wheat, in the einkorn, mm -hmm. in the emmer. Those grains have much more trace minerals in them naturally than what wheat today does. Because wheat in the last 60, 70 years has not been bred for nutrient content. It's been bred for production. So here again, these ancient grains are more forgiving in the sense, well, they have these properties naturally in them. Yeah. Certainly we want to give this, make sure the soil has these properties because they'll get them more availably and not take up as much resources in getting them. 
And that's what we want in our food because that gives us the taste that's and what the I mean. integrity. Yeah. You know, the tide's gone out, it's come back in, it's gone back out, yeah. and it's back to the table. I, I love the <laughs> fact that our goal here of good food on the plate happens to be the goal or the the architecture of these ancient grains as well. That's what they were made to do. Yeah, they're made to... Be nutrient dense, rich, good tasting. Well, wheat got to be white wheat and white flour, which is a whole uh, hierarchy of wealth. Emmer, einkorn, they were known as the peasant grains because huh. throughout time, the, the serfs, yeah. they always threw out some emmer, always threw out some einkorn, and it would grow just about anywhere, and it would give them food. Huh. Once again, the lure of wealth kind of took us away from the correct path here. But it might be bringing us back to I think it is. <laughs> well, let us hope so. Yes. Yeah. Tune in next time. So cool, Sam. Thanks. Thank you, Don. Bluebird Grain Farms, your source for the finest 100% certified organic ancient grains, fresh milled flour, and whole grain handcrafted blends. Bluebird's products are sown, harvested, and sun-cured with care and milled to order on the farm here in the Meadow Valley in northern Washington so that you can enjoy the most delicious plow-to-package grain that money can buy. Check out the website, w.bluebirdgrainfarms.com, where you can learn more about their farming practices and shop on their online retail store for ancient grain products, local honey, sourdough starters, monthly grain CSA subscriptions, gift boxes, and more. That's bluebirdgrainfarms.com.